Welcome to Code Splitters Podcast. I'm Paul. I'm Mikkel. And I'm Kevin. Right. Uh, welcome to our first episode of 2023. Um, I think we got a great one for you here to start off the year. Uh, we have a guest on. And before I introduce our guest, I just wanted to let you know that Mikkel won't be joining us today. He's not permanently off at, uh, in any way. Uh, he just had more important meetings to attend. So uh, today we will be talking about um, open source and open source together with communities, right, um, in, in programming and web development. And uh, to, to sort of get us into that topic and, and teach us everything we can ask about is uh, Lars Brink. Um, welcome aboard, Lars. Um, he is a principal front-end engineer at uh, Consensus, uh, Microsoft MVP, GitHub star, um, author of two books where one of them won him the Angular Hero of Education um, Award, uh, is the co-founder of the nonprofit open learning initiative called This Is Learning, um, and, and also just locally to us here as well, uh, the organizer of uh, the Meetup Aarhus which is also uh, the first uh, meeting I had uh, with Lars uh, as well. So, uh, so welcome, Lars. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Good to see you. Awesome. Um, and I, I don't know, uh, because, you know, we're in January, this is start of the year, and I just wanted to quickly ask you, uh, Lars, and maybe you're not part of that, maybe you don't do that, but you, did you have any New Year's resolutions, or is that, you know, are you one of those where, you know, that's that's no fun? Uh, my wife gave me one. Oh. <laughs> so I started exercising more and taking the dog for a walk every day, and I use a, an elliptical under desk thing. So oh, I cool. cycle with my legs in an elliptical motion. Uh, so, yeah, th those are good because they're easy habits. So easy habits tend to <laughs> uh, stand the test of time better than trying to go from zero to hero when it comes to exercising. <laughs> oh, oh, I agree. I agree. I, I hear you there. I, I've not that I had it as a new year's resolution, but you know, like the one of the thing about exercising, right. Uh, and I, I must admit, I'm very bad at uh, motivating myself alone into doing any of these. Um, so, so I hear you, uh, that the, the elliptical thing, that's, that's pretty cool. Like, how does that, I mean, because I've seen people like they ride a bike as well when they're, when they're, you know, in front of the computer, I'm, I'm like, how does that work in your head? Is this just autopilot at one point? It's a, it's called a fit desk under desk elliptical. Uh, so you only use your legs and it goes in an elliptical curve to prevent you from bumping your legs or your knees into the table. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, good point. <laughs> but uh, it has, and it has an kind of, you can adjust it in the, what uh, the resistance is in it. It's, it has kind of a flywheel inside, I believe. Oh, yeah. uh, but you can adjust it with your feet. So it's completely hands-off. There's a display. Unfortunately, my broke, uh, but it doesn't really matter. I, I'm not counting calories or kilometers, even though that's also fun sometimes. But yeah, even without display, it still works, right? And uh, I just you try to use it uh, and try to make it a habit to use it uh several times per day and it's really pleasant because you don't get uh like you can i, I don't have it like just 
on the easiest step. I have it somewhere in the middle towards uh, tough, actually, and doesn't really interrupt my work uh, for the most part. And the more I use it, the more natural it, it becomes. I would use it right now, but it's a little squeaky. It needs some special oil that I don't have any more of. So ah. <laughs> for the recording's sake, I won't use it right now. But I do use it when I'm in meetings, uh, for example, and when I code as well. So, yeah, it's, it's really a, a good tool when you're stuck in an office all, all day. I mean, I'm in my home office, which makes it easier to have an apparatus like that. But yeah. Yeah. yeah I was yeah. just imagining an, an office floor of like 50 people where everyone has one. You're <laughs> <laughs> just going. But that sounds really cool. It's really nice with uh, stuff you can do during the workday because, uh, you know, we're at work a lot, of course. So if there's anything you can do, like uh, the usual thing is, of course, like a standing desk or something, but it's uh, it's nice you found a solution to do a bit more. That's really cool. Um, so from now on, you can uh, estimate tasks in kilometers instead of hours. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> this bug took me three kilometers. Yeah. It also works better with velocity, right? You know, it sounds no. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Well, what about you, Kevin? Just quickly, any any resolutions, or are you not into that? Ooh, um, no, I'm not really into that. I I've tried that a couple of years. Um, it doesn't. That format doesn't really work. I don't really get it done. No. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, since last year, I've also been trying to focus a little more on uh, eating a little healthier and exercising a bit. Um, I've tried many times doing it kind of not hardcore, but doing, okay, now I'm going to, you know, do this multiple times a week and blah, 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 but then I always fall off. So this time I'm just taking it really slow, just one thing at a time, trying to do like half an hour, two or three times a week, just start off really slow so I don't uh, fall off again. Um, and then trying to break some of the bad habits I had with uh eating junk food in the evening uh, and things like that. So, yeah, just taking it slow there. But, uh, yeah, apart from that, uh, not too many uh, special ones this year, I think. How about you, Paul? Ah, I, I figured you'd <laughs> jump past me. It's like, um, I didn't make any resolutions this year, but I think I'm on board with your whole, like, you know, more exercise. I really should do that. Uh, my wife has been pushing slightly towards that as well, because again, I'm also very much in my home office. Uh, I do use the standing desk, but I've had problems with my shoulder a lot. Um, so I've had to do exercise and stuff like that. And sometimes I do them during meetings as well. And then I have been running um, and I actually did a run the other day um, a short run. So, uh, I hopefully can get back into that habit, but I don't know about, about yours, but we have snow here and it's snowing right now and it's slippery and wet. Um, so it, unfortunately that's my excuse for today. Uh, and then I'm recording this, of course. So there you go. But, uh, but yeah, more exercise. I think that's the, the gist of it. Yeah. Right, right. Well, let's jump right into it. Um, I think I think we'll start about uh, you know in 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 the community section of it here because um, and and correct me here as well, Lars, because uh, again, you know, many 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 years ago, you started out primarily with Angular, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah. And um, and uh, did you did you like join any communities straight away? And I'm I know we're talking open source as well, but just communities as a whole. Like, where did you enter, and 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 how how did you sort of get started in that field in that area of, of development, if you may? 
Uh, well, I, I joined the Aarhus JS meetup back then. It was called NG Aarhus, NG for Angular. So it was Angular focused. And it was Philip Beck, who's still part of the, the organizing team. And now I'm a part as well. And it was uh, by now my good friend, Martin Kirstein, who left the industry by now. But they ran it together for a few years and got uh, sponsors from local businesses. And so we had different venues for periods of time it was mostly the same <laughs> venue and now we have a new setup with a team of four or five people uh, so we're trying to diversify a bit but also keep it more consistent more times per year of course there was covid and so on that really put it on on hold and, yeah. and st started tried starting it up again a few times the, the biggest challenge there is actually getting speakers uh, it, we used to have it that it was it would always be three speakers and it's always in person. Uh, now we just um, we we want to have two speakers and then we schedule time more time for networking. Mm, uh, yeah, because I find that's important as well. That that's a good point actually. Um, the networking part. We actually just the was that Thursday last week I think um, had the, the Vue.js meetup like oh who's Vue.js. Um, at our offices, uh, we actually also hosted uh, all JS a couple of years back uh, at, at, at Node, or back then it was called Clona. Um, but I do follow you in in that whole part about networking because usually you know there is some you know you eat some food and people can network a little bit there, but that you know you're eating right, so you don't have time set aside for that. And then after the last talk, you know people are just like you know well let's go home, it's late or, or whatever. But I really do feel that those small communities they give something. Like I talk to a lot of people, I normally wouldn't talk to right um expanding our network so so that's pretty cool so so that's where you started right and and as you said you sort of took over the reins together with some others from philip at least that's what he said when he was on the podcast uh, last year was that he sort of uh, he's not well he's part of it but he's not managing too much anymore uh if i remember correctly yeah we we try to split the work based on what's going on in our lives and, and what we like to do and more people are volunteering to help with recording for example, so now we can find the, the sessions from, from the previous meetup and we have another one coming up here in February. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's good. We're, we're happy with the setup now and uh, it allows Philips uh, to be more hands-off and he needed to since he was just a one-man show uh, by, by now. Uh, but, but we joined uh, a year ago or so. Yep. Uh, so yeah, that's really great. So that was my first entry into a kind of a community i had been doing a lot of how can you say like in-house communities like uh, speaking in the company at, at, at regular meetings right doing talks yep. and even writing articles documentation things like that it's also part of a community but it's it's a closed community so and and over the years i've come to enjoy a more open uh, community so, for example, of course, I've joined some Slack channels, and now it's more Discord. It's more community-oriented. But back then, I joined, there was one called Angular Beers, which transitioned into, I don't even remember, Hack Colab, yeah, doing more events and stuff like that. But, yeah, it was, it was where you could meet people virtually, and, and the Aarhus JS is always in person so it's it's focused on the in per person experience and the local community and the local speakers so yeah that's great in its own way then i i started speaking and writing articles so i joined 
the publication that was originally called Angular in Depth. Uh, so that was really advanced Angular articles, and uh, more and more people joined. Uh, it transitioned into now it's called indepth.dev and goes beyond just Angular while still having a strong Angular part of it. And um, so, yeah, I was I was the editor and kind of helping to manage the, the community of authors uh, for some time. And then I went on to start my own called This Is Learning, which also has a strong Angular part of it. I actually have a brand called This Is Angular. It's, it's of course, only on Angular, but uh, the, the other part of it is as big or maybe even bigger by now. Uh, it spans across other frameworks and programming languages, everything tech and, and career uh, related to, to tech, uh, well, software tech, that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I, I ran it for less than a year before um, my, my good friend Santos Yadav joined and became uh, the co-founder as well. So we've been running it together. Uh, I think we had the two-year anniversary for since I started it and, and the one-year anniversary of him joining. So yeah, we're, we're happy. And it's uh, it's not a business or anything. It, it's just a community. And we, we focus on having free content and an open community in that anyone can join. Uh, you just have to be interested in public tech contributions like writing articles, doing talks, doing open source, uh, managing communities and events, things like that. If, if you're into that, uh, no matter your skill level, uh, just ask one of us and you'll be led into the, the secret discord. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we have we have uh, publications on dev community. I've been really happy with that since it's also free and open, and they've been supporting no matter what content we, we produced. Uh, so we were really happy with that. It's a good place for us, and, and and we like to think that we're a good place for people to start out, but also keep being around. We have developers and, and authors of, of from many different backgrounds and skill levels and across the entire world. So... I like that, and we're we're just we're not focused on on growing or profit. We don't have to. We, we almost exclusively use free services for the platforms we provide. Like we also have yeah. video things. We we when when in season we have a, a weekly talk show where we talk to people on on live streams. Uh, we have a newsletter. We have open learning content. So that's developer guides and courses that are open source and free freely available, no paywall, no registration, nothing, just open to the world. Because uh, I, I find that that's really something I value in our industry, that you can pick up almost anything just on the internet. In yeah. Denmark, we're a little more towards gatekeeping when it comes to the professional part of it with jobs. You have to have some, any IT education will do, but it is difficult to be uh, what's it called self-taught or, or uh, the boot camp thingy. That's not as present in Denmark, but it, it's much more present in, in, for example, the United States, but also all other countries where you switch industries. You take a boot camp, you're, you're on school education for a few months, and then you're now you're ready to be a programmer. In Denmark, it's more difficult because there is a little little bit of, of gatekeeping 
so you really need that education. Of course, education is quote unquote free in Denmark. So you also have the opportunity to to take an education. Um, yeah, I, but, I but, but it it takes time too, right? There's the time thing in it. <laughs> like, yeah, it's not a few months. No, no. <laughs> um, there is an an example of, of boot camps in Denmark, and that's the Hack Your Future uh, group. Which is also, I think, a nonprofit. We started mm. collaborating with them in Aarhus JS. So we had some some students, I think they called them uh, last time. Next time they will do a, they will be talking about hack your future. It's pretty new that they're in Aarhus. They started in Copenhagen, and, and there's um, also communities of hack your future across other countries, I think. Uh, but yeah, they they uh, they focus on bringing in immigrants. And refugees into the tech industry in, in Denmark for, for the Danish offices, uh, but yeah, it's difficult. I, I talked to a lot of them uh, in our last meetup, and uh, but now I, I talked to uh, someone from Hack Your Future, and only one of from the the previous class was still in need of a job. The other ones got a job. Wow, That's... but yeah, it was hard to hear their stories about. There was people from Ukraine fleeing the war. Uh, uh, a yeah. mother alone with her daughter came to Denmark eight months ago and didn't have a job yet. And but apparently she she got one finally uh, through Hack Your Future and uh, visibility through things like our local meetup. And I, I tried helping them by by sharing some stuff on LinkedIn as well. Uh, I wish it was easier for people to join our industry in Denmark. Unfortunately, still a little gatekeeping going on. Yeah, I, th- I think that's very admirable. That's uh, I think that's that's such a cool project. Uh, I th- I had I had heard of the name, uh, but but I didn't actually know what what it was about. But that's that's pretty cool. That is uh, that's very admirable. Yeah. Um. Oh yeah, sorry. That's the story just took my. <laughs> um. No, but but I think uh, onto your point about the whole gate- gatekeeping thing. I think you're very right there, right? Because when you look out on the internet, there's all you know, especially on Twitter. Uh, I remember last year, you know, all these. You, you see a lot of them, especially related to Angular as well, because that's the that's the bubble I'm in, right? Um. But yeah, people like yeah, you know, I took this uh, course, you know, and I started a job here and there and and stuff like that. And you know, you're right, we don't have that as much here. Um. I think it's unfortunate. Uh, I mean, I mean, not that the educations take that long, but as you say, you know, right, you know, that it's it's not just a couple of months, right? And some some of them even have more gatekeeping, like you need to have math at a certain level or whatever just to enter it, even though you might never use it. But that's that's just it there. Um, yeah, I, I would wish for that to open up a little more, um, so so that that whatever is written in about your education. Uh, isn't as important as maybe what you've contributed to now that we're talking open source as well, right? But yeah, uh, because in programming, it is so easy to go on the internet and learn something. Um, I think I myself started out uh, Angular-wise with in-depth as well, like uh, reading articles on there as, as well. I remember reading some of your content too. Um, it's just uh, It was a great platform to start out like these deeper topics because you get... As with any big frameworks, right? You get a lot of articles and in different formats and in, in, in different skill levels and stuff. Uh, and I just really thought it was pretty cool that you had that in-depth one where you like you really dug into some of the uh, some of the I would say harder topics, but maybe just more in-depth in some of the the essential topics. Uh, um, because Angular, I think, and again, this is there's no framework war here or anything like that. But Angular is to some like it has a steeper learning curve because uh, um, it's more. I find it more. You know, like architectural 
like like more enterprise. I think that's the word I usually use, right? It's a little more enterprisey um, um, than your average framework. Um, but yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, I mean, you you started so you started a you know this is learning and you've been running it uh, uh, alongside uh, Santosh. Um, um, how is it? Running it now, you say you're you're doing it all free. It's all that, so that I, I'm guessing there's a lot of spare time going on there. How do you organize that? Is that just uh, I know you love it, like I, I can hear it from you, right? But but you know it must take a lot of time, and 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 how do you approach that part of it? Like do you set do you have a schedule for that? No, I to me personally, what I like about public tech contributions like open source and communities and things like that is that. I get to decide how much time I spend on it for the most part. I mean, unless you have a deadline for a conference or a talk or a a call for presenters or or something like that, then you're on your own time. That's kind of the beauty of it, that it's easier to balance. In fact, I use it as a buffer. If I'm frustrated at work, I will do even more open source or writing or things like that, uh, because that's... that's part of my life that I'm in full control over. I decide what I do and when and with, with which people and the quality and the time I spend on it. It's all up to me. And I, I also do that with this is learning. Like I spend more time on it when I, I'm more energized uh, or, yeah, yeah, when I feel like I, I have room for it. Uh, other than that, I, I don't have any goals or anything. So, it's just steadily growing. I think we have a hundred people involved. Oh, wow. uh, so, and and I don't really look at numbers, metrics for article reads, something like that. I just look at are people still joining, and of course, are people still following along? Like, I'm I'm focusing on the authors and and the other kinds of contributors. I'm not as focused on the readers, but they will follow if you do a good job with the writers. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty cool. That's admirable. So, like, I, I think I remember that you mentioned it about OSJS at some point too. But I guess it is the the same for this is learning, right? But you offer, you know, as you say, you offer the help that you can, right? You know, writing articles, maybe you know, looking up uh, some of the data on these, and 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 I guess for speaking as well, right? Speaker training is that correct? Yes, we offer that as part of OSJS. Uh, we encourage first time speakers to come as well we will we can help you picking a topic outlining your talk practicing your talk anything you you would like uh, and yeah we we are open for anyone to come talk uh, as long as it's in person that's the only yeah, requirement yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we we're, we're trying to support the local community in that way and with this is learning uh, it's kind of the same thing. You can, you can join and you can publish uh, what you want, when you want. There are no requirements. It's all up to you. Uh, when we're talking about the publications, you can ask for a review, review for your peers, but there's no strict process. There's no guarantee you get a review, but you're also not required to ask for one. Ah, okay. That's pretty cool. So it's very loose, yeah, in, yes. in that sense. That's pretty cool, yeah, because I... And I'm speaking a little bit for myself here as well, but I guess others, you know, starting out here as well, there might be you know, a slight bit of imposter syndrome and stuff like that. Maybe you had it yourself at some point, who knows, right? But, but, but you know, that threshold, sometimes um, the idea of, oh, you know, I got to have it reviewed by, you know, like this person I might look up to or anything like that, that, that can mean pressure as well, I guess, right? So 
So it's pretty cool that you have the option of, you know, just go slow, just go your own flow, right? That's that's pretty that's pretty admirable. Yeah, this is one of the reasons I started this is learning is also making room for new contributors. Because Angle and Depth, as the name implied, an in-depth dev was really focused on high quality content, uh, mostly by trained, skilled uh, professionals. So there was more of a process and more requirements for your content. Um, So I I wanted to make it more open to newcomers uh, because then I I don't then it's easier to run a community that's more hands-off that that grows and runs or more organically and you can get as much or as little out of it as you want and, and there's no pressure to keep being part of it you can come and go and things happen in our lives and it's all part of this is all part of our spare time all these public tech contributions so maybe this year or actually this year I'm more into open source so I'm not writing or speaking much except for a part of my job and uh, in-house so yeah and that's perfectly okay. And I know it's the same thing for other people. They get involved in an open source project or they start a new job and focus on that for a while. Or maybe they get into um, a different framework and now they're more learning than teaching for a while. So if things happen, and that's okay. You can come and go as you please <laughs> because we don't have to, to bring in any income or revenue based on your work so there's no reason for us to pressure you you unless you you ask uh, for us to support you and guide you and, and put a little pressure on you to to whatever you need as part of your contribution career that's pretty cool yeah a little a little hand holding there uh, i guess you know like on on people's own terms yeah that's pretty cool that's uh, that's admirable um <clears throat> sorry yeah, um, I was going to say that uh, we, we sort of we talked about communities as a whole here, and 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 how you're running this as learning as well. Um, like, what would you recommend to people just starting out? Like, you know, if you wanted to, again, um, you know, you know, start maybe writing something, or maybe just uh, you know another another take on learning, right? Because I, I I think writing something is also learning about the topic yourself, right? What would you uh, your best advice be to like newcomers like of any skill level i guess that doesn't really matter right but yeah uh, what helped me uh what was important for me was getting a little push from morton kirstein at the ngo who's meetup uh, because he said sounds like you're doing some interesting stuff in your work would you like to come talk about it at our meetup and i had been doing talks and writing articles and, and things but it was only internally in the companies uh, and I, I, yeah, it, it was that, yeah, fear of of the unknown kind of thing. What does that mean? I mean, I had actually been doing public speaking for ten years, but not related to tech. Uh, so it's not that I didn't know how, but it was a different ball game, or at least I, I thought so, uh, and, and intimidating and and all of that. And imposter syndrome, it it always kicks in. No matter the level you're on, there's always new challenges. Like uh, last year, I, I spoke as, at the internal conference for GitHub Stars. So mm. I was in front of, uh, um, we are 100 GitHub Stars across the globe. And they are some of the 
best open source uh, developers and other kinds of con- contributors and community organizers and trying to, so to speak, teach them about open source was very intimidating. Oh, I could imagine. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so there's always something that you will be, find scary. And and no matter how many times you've done it, there there will always be some nerves before, like when you're at a conference and there's a speaker's lounge or area of some sort, you will see that even the most experienced will still be doing last minute changes and preparations and and having the nerves on in, in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 and I think... Um... To me, like that, when you're nervous just before you're you're going on stage or you know you're going to speak and stuff like that, it also to me, right? Of course, you're nervous, um, but it's also an indication that you know you're gonna talk about something that you enjoy. You're gonna you're gonna learn something. You're gonna it's the, it's excitement too, right? That's I think that's the word I'm I'm looking for. Right? There's that slight bit of a mixture of excitement and and <laughs> and being a little like oh, what is this but uh that's pretty cool that's i could imagine like the whole github uh, stars thing being um being sort of uh terrifying might be the wrong word but but, but as you say you're you're probably a little nervous uh with with all those high profile people uh but but yeah like at every skill level people will have their their imposter syndrome times and and uh and and you know sometimes people also fail and make mistakes like we all do right so uh that's pretty cool. That's that's awesome. Well, you ask for advice on, to newcomers, and um, I'll say, just get something out there that, that works both for content and open source. Get something published. Get something on GitHub. Uh, don't p- push yourself too much or be a perfectionist about it, uh, because just getting something out there and and maybe mo- even moving on to the next thing and then improving over time, it's as it is with with code, you will always be able to look back on some code and say, oh, "I would have done that differently now," because you yeah. you learn over time, you become better with the experience that it brings. And it's the same here: just get something yeah. out there, uh, and and don't feel embarrassed or ashamed. And and even if it's intimidating, exciting, and or scary, uh, just get something over that. Get yourself uh, over that edge. That's what did it for me. Uh, that was getting that little push or uh, a reason for yeah, someone asking something from me, right? Uh, yeah. Pushing me to, to do that in public. And that, that led to me writing articles in public. And I spent way too too much time on, on the first few ones. Uh, so yeah, you, you, you figure out how to balance that, but just get something out there. Find, find your level of, of where you're satisfied with what you do, because you'll be happy just to have done something and, and be able to look back on that uh, later on. That's some good advice. That's uh, yeah. As you say, the notch and the just, you know, just go do really. That's uh, that's the gist of it, right? Right. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about communities, um, building them, getting started, and and how you work with communities as well, Lars. Um, but as you briefly mentioned as well, like your focus this year is much more in actual open source development. Um, so I figured we'd like just dig deep here and and go into like you know how did you get started in open source development? Was that also sort you know part of the community thing, um, um, or did it? 
just come on the side of you know naturally now you're you're sharing things and learning about code and then you wanted to also contribute not just with articles and knowledge but also with actual work uh, um, to the community well that's probably the first thing what is open source and you say actual work well articles is also actual work and yeah sorry that's... <laughs> uh, so and and looking back i also started with like even opening issues on github that's also part of open source you need that feedback from the community uh, and and that also leads to solutions from the community in form of, of pull requests but maybe it's not even code related issues doesn't have to be about code it can also be about managing the project graphical design architecture uh communities events lots of things i mean github also now has the discussions forum which you can also use for many things but an issue is more than just about code so every issue is also part of open source every pull request of course is is part of open source being part of the the community is also a part of of the open source ecosystem it's an important part so so i started with contributions like um opening issues commenting on issues uh and maybe even uh, doing some small pull requests for tools that i was using back then like wordpress plugins jquery plugins uh css thingies uh and, and bootstrap and serp foundation uh material design light uh knockout js all the things i, w- I was using back then and uh so joined the angular uh modern angular ecosystem years ago by now yeah my, my focus has been primarily on that since that's what i've continued to work with primarily even though i've used a lot of frameworks it's been angular for the past many many years uh, so now i'm part of several open source teams where we do open source software development so that's kind of a different stage of of an open source career but but just to say that the code is not the only important thing because we also need documentation and not all developers are happy about uh, maintaining or writing documentation so <laughs> you need some someone involved in that as well and uh, that's uh, what i do in, in some circumstances that's part of my interests uh, but yeah it's, it's more than code there's much more to open source than just writing code you can write the best code in the world if you don't understand how to uh, document it well how to make it open so to speak to to newcomers both in terms of users contributors and uh, maintainers then there's a lower chance of you having success with your open source project but yeah i'm i'm part of a team where we on a regular basis do open source i'm part of the ng workers team where we do primarily angular thingies uh like a, we have a, a logging library called lumberjack we have uh a state library for the angle router called router component store we have a testing integration testing library for angular called spectacular we have a github action called the angle angle uh, versions action and um uh i'm also part of the rx angular group uh, so it's a state management and performance rendering oriented um group of of packages for angular uh that's becoming increasingly popular i think it has uh 
around 45,000 downloads on, on per week on NPM per package, something like that. Uh, so it's getting more and more popular. But it has had the struggle of they have a really good they have really good code, but the documentation was lacking, dated, even broken, and no one cared or knew how to fix it. So that's how I joined. I, I don't know too much about performance and all these things that they are focused on as you know, as part of their day jobs. They work on huge Angular projects and optimize every part of it uh, uh, for performance. I don't know too much about all of that stuff, but I know about documentation. So I built a documentation website using Docusaurus, which is also oh, yeah. open source, original by Meta, Meta, but it might have joined OpenJS. I'm not. I'm not sure. But yeah, that's a that's a kind of a, an interesting framework for websites, uh, primarily for documentation. But you can have any page on there, static page. It supports blogs, blog posts as well, and you write your content in Markdown or even MDX. So you can have React components in the mix as well. So yeah, it, it has React. You don't need to know React. Uh, but you can use React to, to build the pages, but most of the time you're doing Markdown. You don't have to do much more than that and supports yeah. a, a, a few plugin ecosystems, Rehype and Remark or, or something like that. So I, I build a, a documentation website using that, and then I, I, I asked for contributions from the community, and people started helping out with adding things like search uh, local search on on the website without a, a third party service and and uh, reorganizing huge parts of the documentation uh, and and there are several other issues open and I was happy to see that it's been broken for so long that if if they when you spend the effort to make it more open to people then eventually someone will come and help you if they have interest in in the project so I find that very that was that was yeah, much uh, much of a joy because then I don't have to do all the work myself, <laughs> but also <laughs> just to see that it actually works in practice. And the more you focus on an open community, uh, the more benefits you will get from that. That's pretty cool. Um, and and yeah, as you said, yeah, <laughs> and you're right in correcting me there. But of course, all the other parts are a part of open source as well. Um, and as you say, like the rewarding part of here of adding the documentation, I actually happen to know Rx Angular as well. I'm I'm sort of sorry to say I wrote some of the documentation way back when. A couple, uh, you might might see my my tag in there. I wrote some of the examples. I was very nervous about doing that, but that was sort of that's my first open source contribution as well. Um, but you're right, right? As a, I mean, you know, because the, the the library is very advanced, and and as much as this is rewarding for you and the community and people helping doing the documentation, I bet it is also rewarding for the people working on the code behind, right? You know, as you say, they work with performance, you know, in, in their daily lives. And that's where, you know, all their knowledge is. And then they're, I remember from Twitter and looking at the reports, it's insanely advanced. Um, so, so I could imagine like them having you and others on there as well, helping out with documentation is immensely helpful. Uh, and again, you, there's the community feeling of it, of course, right? You know, you're helping out each other with, with what you can contribute with. Um, it was uh, pretty cool. It was one of the points they wanted to address before going stable, so to speak. They had been in, in beta release for two of the packages, uh, CDK and template. 
from the Rx Angular organization. They had a stable release of Rx State for a few years, but the other packages, which is primarily where the focus is on now because State is kind of feature complete. I mean, it, it will have some changes over time, but the focus is on Rx Angular CDK and template, which is about rendering and performance optimizations there. So they, but the documentation was like, it was broken. And I was surprised to see that they actually wrote a lot of documentation, but it was in markdown files that were packaged with with the libraries. So, so I don't find that easy to find. I just look at the website and wow, this is all the documentation there is and the menus are broken and seems dated. So there was a lot of documentation, but few people could find it. So now... I mean, I was happy I didn't have to write all of it because I, I don't know the <laughs> library that well and I don't understand all these concepts about performance uh, that the other uh, members of the team do. Uh, but yeah, th- there was a lot of content and, and just getting that into a working website with, with search and a menu structure is uh, more helpful than, than it was before. So now I think we actually released version 1.0 stable of these two packages. So that's a major milestone. And uh, that documentation was a, a part of that. That's pretty cool. That's pretty, yeah, I remember the documentation being, as you said, yeah, like you could find it, but you had to really look for it <laughs> uh, in, in different places. But that's pretty cool. That's uh, that's admirable. And and a shout out to Rx Angular as well. I think it's an amazing library for those in Angular that are especially interested in the performance parts of it. Uh, I know I've seen some posts on on, uh, on on some tweets, I guess it's called, on Twitter, right? With some examples of how Using some of their their structural directives are like insanely just like on normal things like like they really up the performance and do some some pretty crazy stuff. That's uh, that's awesome. And yeah, better documentation on there, or at least more organized uh, documentation, I guess, is uh, is very valuable. That's pretty cool. That's um, that's awesome. And then you mentioned ng workers. I think we've talked a little bit about it before as well. But I've been using one of the libraries in there, the uh, the router component store as well. Um, um, and then uh, I can see there's something called NX workers too. Uh, um, um, is that that's fairly new, I guess? Uh, it's just that we never published anything. Ah, we never managed okay. to complete anything. Uh, but yeah, it's just we 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 don't. Yeah, different things happened. My my like Santosh is also part of NG workers, but he's ah, yeah. more into communities and and he's doing. A ton of talks this year and the previous years and he moved to germany from india last year so of course you have different things in your life you can't do it all so i i make sense i go from project to pro- project based on, on time and and what i feel like doing uh, but also i started getting sponsorships through github sponsors so of course there's also an economical instant uh, what's it called like a reason, Incentive. yeah, yeah, for yeah, for yeah. for working on particular things when that's like the Google Chrome something Foundation ah, uh, yeah. sponsors uh, gave uh, a big amount uh, to uh, money to to Rx Angular, so we're finding a way to divide that uh, over this year across the team members of the, the core team, and I got other sponsors uh, as well, private persons. Um, I uh, really appreciate that, but corporate sponsors is where the money is at. 
and yeah, I managed to get my first corporate sponsor for doing doing work. Uh, so yeah, that's also exciting. I mean, that that's that would be the dream for me, being f- fully funded, having a stable income, doing open source and other public contributions full time. But yeah. I really need that steady income. I have a a family uh, to support, <laughs> and uh, my wife works uh, in in the public uh, industry as a social worker. So let's just say I earn more money than her. So we li- really need that. We're depending on that stable income. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, if it's worth anything, like I'm rooting for you. I mean, I mean, it's it's so cool, like the community work. And the um the, the open source work, and as you say, like the dream, like you know, being able to maintain yourself of that uh, is 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 uh, is pretty cool. And and yeah, I just hope you get there. Um, it it sort of brought me into another topic here, or I guess it's this, like you know, companies paying for open source, you know, like contributing to you or or sponsoring. Uh, that's the word, right? Uh, um, I think it's it's become better over the last few years. Like I'm not in in that community, of course, but at least looking from the outside, it's become better. I remember a couple of years back, right? Uh, I think it was at the start of COVID or before that, where the whole talk was like, you know, I think it was around UJS maybe, but but the whole like, you know, sponsoring open source and and you know the value of it, and like if you really want these libraries to live, right? You know, you got to support them, right? And it's not just about using them and complaining, right? It's it's much more about you know, okay, so like we're a big company, we're using this. Why not give them a little bit of the money, right? Because we're making maybe lots of money, you know, using these tools. Um, um, that's a part of it too. And I, at least from the outside, it has gotten a little better. But I, I guess I, maybe you have some other insights. But but I see that as a, it was a concern, and maybe it's getting better, but maybe it's not quite there yet. Well, we've definitely seen some of the big tech companies contribute more money uh, to open source. They're also the biggest open source contributors in the world, Microsoft and Google and Meta and Amazon. Like Microsoft is the biggest, especially since acquiring GitHub because both Microsoft and GitHub were some of the biggest. Microsoft is the biggest, at least when you measure it on GitHub. (laughs) But that is where most (laughs) of open source is today. So that that is kind of the the indicator of what's going on in, in open source in the world. So yeah, we've seen more foundations sponsoring. GitHub is, has opened, a, like they've opened even an, a program called GitHub Accelerator, where if you want to become a, a full-time open source developer, they will help you with uh, mentorship and they will even sponsor a certain amount of money. I don't remember the exact amount, but Money that you could live off this uh, for pretty, uh, for some wow. months, and that that's like they will put you through an, an educational process or something to learn about how you can monetize your work and things like that in, in open source, and they will sponsor your uh, sp- yeah you will you will get paid to get an open source monetization education kind of thing yeah so that's really that's really interesting, and they sponsored I don't know remember how many millions to a three digit millions number of us dollars per year that they're sponsoring uh, two projects within the ecosystem of things that they use they are heavily on on git involved in git and contributing to git itself but also cloud is is becoming an increasingly big part of github and uh, because microsoft is betting big on github 
Not yeah, that, it would seem so, yeah. Yeah, not that their own services are going away. It's just GitHub is where new things are happening because it has the biggest user base and uh, open source is at GitHub. They had their own thing, if you remember, years back, like CodePlex, uh, I think maybe it's called. And But uh, yeah, GitHub is where things ended up being. Uh, funnily enough, because GitHub is not very open source itself. And then you have alternatives <laughs> like GitLab, which is also great and open source, and you can run it on-premise, whatever. But things just ended up being on GitHub. Open source happens on GitHub primarily today. Yeah, yeah, that's where the community gathers, right? That's where you find everything. Um, it's also to my understanding that, uh, of course, you say as GitLab and stuff like that are, are pretty awesome as well. Um, but because you can have the on-prem ones, like I don't hear much about it, but then you talk to someone at meetups or something like that, and they are running it locally, right? They have their own you know, version control over there, and, and that's usually how I see that setup working. Um, but cool with the uh, with like the, uh, the the fund or whatever you want to call it that 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 GitHub has there, and that that program sounds amazing. Like because there are so many developers out there who I think deserve uh, a lot more uh, a lot more than they get right now, right? Uh, both in terms of contributions, but also in sort of like uh, publicity, uh, because uh, some of them are doing God's work behind the scenes and a lot of libraries and stuff like that. Um, so I think that's that's pretty cool. That's um, but- by the way, I have to mention you can also run GitHub on prem. Oh, okay. I did, didn't actually know that. Yeah, you could, it's uh... just not open source. Ah, uh, okay. So there you go. So maybe a big company buys into it. That's something like that, and I guess. Yeah. So maintaining uh, open source projects here. I had a I had a question here because I think I can't remember if it was Twitter or LinkedIn I saw it on, right? But you mentioned this whole TypeScript ordeal of, you know, like if you maintain an open source project, like there the amount of work that has to go into maintaining stuff like the TypeScript as types and the advanced types, um, that that is that that can be a lot of work. Um, and so I guess my question here is like, what is 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 that is that one of the worst parts of like open source? Is that because I guess you learn about it still, but yeah, yeah, TypeScript. TypeScript is the worst part, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the best part for consumers, but the worst part for library developers because you get into things that you do not have to get into as part of your, your day-to-day job. You really need some advanced generics and inference and things like that that I just shouldn't have to care about. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm looking into an, an Angular library right now that has been maintained in terms of releasing new versions compatible with new versions of Angular. But other than that, it hasn't really been touched since version 9, which is more than three years ago at at this point. So I'm looking to upgrade it because it it has one of the issues that is uh, it uses the any type in lots of places. Even Angular itself still do that some places, and that's just the worst. That's like... that's a very slippery slope. It, it brings in, you you think you're type safe, but you're not. You you or the framework has fooled TypeScript into thinking that you're type safe, but type safe, but you're not. So so two things you you need to have turned on if you're doing an application or library is uh, lint rules to prevent you from using or returning any the any type. Unknown yeah. is almost always better, but but for libraries especially, you need to bring in generics 
mm. and you need to know how to do that well and that's not that's not easy um and the other thing is enabling strict null checks because otherwise it's as with for example the dot net without null reference types uh, that anything is potentially uh, null or undefined and you have no idea so do you remember to check that everywhere you use the value i think not yeah and probably that, not <laughs> and that's why we have thousands of of weekly runtime errors on null and undefined <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, I tried digging into like the TypeScript topic of you know, like as as you said, like day to day work, you probably don't look too much into this unless you're you're authoring libraries and and, and frameworks. But but I, I figured out I wanted to do something uh, like a little lip that would sit between our other applications, and I was like, yeah, you know, I'll I'll look into this. But holy, that is advanced. <laughs> that is like covering all edge cases and stuff. And that was. I think it was just a small, like two or three functions or something like that. But it was very, very, very advanced. Uh, like, like the, the things you can do with TypeScript is amazing. But you you take for granted what you, what you get working with libraries uh, that 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 do all this work to get you all the type inference that you need. Uh, typings, it, yeah. It has one of the most advanced typing systems in any programming language, but it's still struggling to express. The, how dynamic JavaScript is by nature, being an interpreted language without built-in types for now, at least. Yeah. Uh, or well, it has types, right? But not type annotations. Ah, oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah you have yes. types, but not the annotations. Yeah, that's true. Actually, they're looking to add types as comments. So JS Doc will enable TypeScript-like checks built into JavaScript, but as comments. So they're just stripped out and and not used at runtime, but you can use it when developing and building and things like that. Okay, I think I think I saw something about that at, at one point. Yeah, I, I could imagine it being very hard to build in because there was a lot of well, there's a lot of people for and against. That's that's for sure. <laughs> but also, how would you make it work for everyone? That's that's a hard topic. But yeah, okay. Um, ah, let's see, let's see, let's see. Yeah, so. You know, we talked about that, and we talked about um, um, how how you got into to this whole ordeal, right? And and I guess it's sort of the same questions about uh, as we had with communities, right? If people are to break out of their shell and go in and contribute to something, and I think you covered it a little bit, right? You know, it doesn't need to be code specifically; it can be you know documentation or whatever, and all these other things. But but um, are there anything like are some projects tagged say like you know this is very good for newcomers or anything like that? What's your recommendation yeah there are some labels built into github as default labels for for issues for example uh, so it, it'll say good first issue or help wanted that means it's more than open to contributions of any kind like commenting on the issue trying to figure out what's going on and what is what it's it's about uh, because triaging issues is also when you have a popular um, open source project, that's a big part of it, just trying to make sense of all these incoming issues. I mean, they are an important part. If no one was using it, it wouldn't be very interesting. So you said, don't just use and complain. Well, you have to. Otherwise, it's it's not a popular open source project. So it's part of it. But of course, find out how to do it in a respectable manner. Uh, like some of the basics are make a 
what's it called, like a minimal reproducible example so that it's easier. Just don't say it's not working, for example. You know that from, <laughs> from yeah. users of your software. It's not working. Okay, how does that, how do I help you, right? So yeah. so putting in the effort to to make a minimal reproducible example, that will probably also give yourself some insights into what the actual issue is rather than throwing your hands up in the air and saying, it's not working. So yeah. that, that's part of contributing uh, in, parts, in terms of contributing good issues. And it'll give you a higher chance of your issue being resolved rather than needs more details or just being closed, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's part of it. And, and look for these help wanted and good first issue. If you, if you want to get into helping to solve problems, either through discussing in an issue or contributing code or whatever you need to solve it. Uh, and when you do that, it opens up the chance that you will start communicating with the maintainers of the project. And who knows, eventually you might up being part of the maintaining team or a trusted collaborator or contributor, a regular contributor. Uh, so, and and it, maybe that'll land, even land your job one day. Maybe it's a, a project backed by a big corporation or a big foundation. Or I have a, a, a friend, uh, Ryan Carniato, that mm, I was yeah. very interested in his framework years ago before it was popular and now I'm happy to see that it's very popular. It's called solid JS. And now he's a full-time open source maintainer on his own framework sponsored by, Oh, I have to be careful now. I think it's Netlify. Yeah, they are. So they're paying his salary to work on solid. And from what he's told, they haven't really been interfering uh, much if at all. So it's, it's, working on what he enjoys the most and having a steady income at the same time. So that's the, the dream scenario, at least to try that out and see how, how that feels, because it is different. I mean, I was part of what was called an open source project as part of my day-to-day job, uh, but that was very different from maintaining my own things that I really cared about. I mean, I was also very much into that project, but I wasn't very much in control and as a, someone with experience in open source, it was a big pain and a big letdown to become part of that because they had no idea how to do open source. They thought it was yeah. just a checklist of use a public GitHub repository with a so-called open source license, and that's that's it. And yeah, technically, yes, that's all you need for open source, but for to be successful and have a healthy a community around that project, then you need more than that. You need to make it easy for people to, to contribute, uh, easy to use. There's different types of documentation based on, is it the end user? Is it a developer? Is it a potential contributor or another community member? And uh, they they had none of the basics figured out and they didn't even know it. So yeah, I, I didn't feel like I became a full-time open source developer. I just became a full-time developer, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then it sounds more like, as you say, like a like a like a job that doesn't actually pay, right? It's more like restrictive, I guess. Well, I, I was yeah. paid, but it wasn't. 
Ah, okay, but yeah, it yeah. wasn't open source in in the way that I appreciate open source. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I guess um, we could plug something here quickly, and that is, uh, you gave a talk at OSGS uh, not too long ago, actually, called "Growing an Open Culture in Open Source," where you actually go over some of these things you just mentioned. Uh, the seven stages of open software, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so this was actually the talk that I gave in in private to GitHub Stars. Ah. So it's it's geared towards experienced open source developers and other kinds of open source um, project members. Uh, so it was a last minute talk for Host.js because one of the scheduled speakers became ill. So ah, I yeah so I I accepted the day before <laughs> the meetup, so I didn't have time <laughs> to try to adjust it for more of a. I I did a survey at the beginning uh, asking how many people contribute to open source, and I think it was me and Jacob who's also part of the Aarhus organizing team, and maybe one more. Uh, so, but then again, I guess it depends on your definition of contributing to open source. But I think most people will think writing code. Uh, on yeah. a project, but that's not the only part of open source. But but then I asked who who's using open source, and it was almost everyone at present at the meetup. So that's a different story. So it's important. Uh, so so I said that even though this is not geared towards you and your background and your knowledge uh, to open source, I hope that you can use it. If you can use it, you can definitely use it for if you're doing inner source or trying to get into that in your company. Because open source principles, uh, what works in open source tends to also work very well in other aspects of, of software development because it's about collaboration. It's even a kind of extreme collaboration because my team, my open source teams, uh, we are distributed across the world. So we might not even be awake at the same time. So communication is very, and doing the work is, is very asynchronous by nature. And that. Yeah. That requires some good levels of, of communication and collaboration, and every software project could benefit from that. So yeah, you can definitely use it uh, for inner source, but also to evaluate the open source projects you're using to see how open is that from a, a scale of, of open culture to closed culture. And that's not saying that either one, either end of the scale is is good or bad or right or wrong. It's just that there is a spectrum of going from open to closed in all aspects of the open source project. And then being aware of that uh, makes you aware of the options you have, the choices you are making, the, uh, like intentionally or unintentionally. And that, that article you mentioned, the seven stages of open source, something that's a, a blog post that I, I use as an example of, of stages mm. that any open source project uh, will go through, but maybe not all of them, and maybe not in the right order. And every stage presents a new opportunity to do it in the open way or the closed way or something in between. And you have to balance that uh, in terms of what, what is, what, yeah, where are you in the life cycle of the project, and what's the purpose, and which value do you do you want it to bring? Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Maybe we'll link that in the in the show notes. That might be a good uh, good way of you know looking into it. Yeah, it's on YouTube. 
the, the lighting is bad because the, the speaker before me had a lot of lights and things, animations going on. So we turned off the lights and we forgot to turn them on again. So you can barely see me in the That's recording. That's why I was wondering. <laughs> yeah, because I was looking at it and I was like, you could see the screen fine. And then it was like, and then I could hear you. And I was yeah. like, but where are you? <laughs> <laughs> it's like we were just getting cozy so we forgot to, to turn on the lights again so yeah that's unfortunate but and, and yes it was the first time uh with new people recording and mm. editing uh, so the audio quality is good not perfect but it's good so yeah you can get something out of that and it's uh i spent a lot of time researching um and trying to make it as good as possible for github stars but hopefully People can still benefit from from these open principles. Uh, I refer to a white paper from the Linux Foundation determining the true openness in open source, uh, which has more detail about these different aspects of, of openness and open values and open source. And then I gave my, my own set of principles uh, for having success in terms of openness. Uh, which leads to a healthy community uh, from my experience. So yeah, uh, interesting talk. I really uh, enjoyed making it. I spent a lot of time and and it was intimidating to, to give it in <laughs> front of uh, so many GitHub stars. You always, yeah, when you're exci- in a situation like that, you're just hoping that you're not wasting everyone's time because the brain power in that session, like <laughs> if you're waiting <laughs> half an hour of their time, like you're, yeah, the humanity is missing out on something. <laughs> That's big words, man. That was, <laughs> but I think I think I get what you mean. Yeah. yeah, That's pretty cool. Yeah, we'll make sure to 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 link to that YouTube as well. Uh, lighting issues aside, um, awesome, awesome. Yeah. So so if if um, I think we're we're about to round up here, like, but if if Kevin or I were like, you know, like we want to start contributing. Um, as as you mentioned right there at the text, like some some projects uh, like like publicly say you know we're we're open to new contributions also from newcomers and what and, and the like, but but just like your own best um, what would you call it um, advice there because there some of them have like these you know templates about you know like or, you know setups, of the, but I guess communication is one of them. But like, what is your your take on it? Like, if I were to go in and contribute to NG workers as an example. Yeah, you should always go look for the contributing markdown file and usually the root of the repository, uh, because if if we've done a good job as as open source maintainers, we have given you instructions on how to get a local setup working and and maybe the, the organization of the repository, things like that that everyone needs to know to start contributing. Um, yeah, so yeah, that's a good place to start. And and if if you're creating issues, there might also be like a, a description of, of yeah probably hopefully there is a template uh, lining out outlining what what you need to fill in. But there are also things like code of conduct on just communication and collaboration in the project and being respectful of each other. Uh, and yeah, that's an important thing. Like you what you said about so-called complaining i mean there's there's um, polite ways to open and communicate in yeah. issues yeah. don't for example don't add plus one comments use the thumbs up icon instead because then people that the maintainers can actually use it to sort the issues on 
most upvoted issues, oh, yeah. for example, yeah. and you won't flood the discussion threads uh, with irrelevant Useless information, uh, complaints, yeah. and, and just plus one. Those are almost equally bad. They, they add no value to the discussion. That's uh, that's some very good advice, uh, and yeah, I think what I said about you know the complaining, I was sort of uh, I was trying to sort of make the joke right because yeah. as you say, like constructive criticism is of course where it should be at, right? But but you do, and I guess that's of course that's those are the examples that are being shown usually, right? But that is that is those are just the one-liners, like as you said, like it doesn't work, or or you know do this because I need this or whatever, you know. Uh, I I know there are far and few between, but but. Uh, as you say, like, you know, be constructive in, in all ways of communication that should really help you forward. Yeah. Documentation is also usually a good place to start because it should be easy. Hopefully there's an edit this page link and you can just edit a markdown file or something like that. It opens a pull request straight away on, on GitHub. So there's not much work to it. Uh, if if the project has done a good job at, at making that process easy. Because yeah. it can be as small as a contribution as fixing a typo or suggesting uh, an edit to a piece of information that you find odd or maybe even uh, false or not, yeah, or not, uh, how do you say it? Like maybe it's dated, maybe it's no longer the case, but it's still in the documentation. Yeah, so that, yeah. that's usually a good place to start. Documentation is underappreciated. Not enough people are interested in, but that's because it's 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 a different skill uh, set you need for good documentation compared to good code. Yeah, I was I was going to say because I've I think I have that on my backlog and I've had it for years. Right, in the project I'm on, right, it's like yeah, sometimes we need better documentation for when a new developer comes on. I'm like yeah, but I'm just me. Like you want me to build all the features. I also want documentation, but you know, and I, I admittedly, right? You, as you said, like it's a skill in itself, right? You know, like you, you it's very hard to be like the best at both. Um, to be honest, yeah, um, yeah, that was talking myself down a little bit there, but that's it. I really want more documentation. I should get more done. <laughs> um, Awesome. I think I think we're at the end here. I think that's that's it. I think we've talked about communities. We've talked about open source. Um, your approaches to it, um, how like some good tips from from last year about you know like how to get started and how to break out of your shell and also sort of uh, you know where he started uh, in his whole ordeal. Um, and I think that's that's about it. It was very fun having you on, Lars. It was a very nice talk we had here. And uh, and again, as I said previously, I, I really hope that you get uh, further in your uh, towards that dream of of being a. Uh, what do you say independent and 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 working off of uh, open source alone uh, that sounds like a pretty pretty awesome thing thank you paul thank you kevin yeah thank you very much for uh, for coming on uh, i mostly let, let uh, you to talk you were on a roll there but uh, <laughs> some really good points about uh, i think also for me a good takeaway cuz i have not really contributed to to open source of not a lot and i think it's really good point of like i also had a lot of barriers of like uh i guess being uh afraid to 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 contribute and and being like uh feeling like when i heard when you hear contribute you might think i have to fix like this big bug or something that the framework or the tool has but but as you said starting with just creating the issue actually spending some time 
uh, if you run into a bug describing it properly, maybe with a screenshot and or some code example, uh, is a really good start. Or or if you see some documentation missing, um, as you mentioned as well, uh, I like to think as well. A tool is only as good as its documentation in a lot of cases. If you as a user, don't know how to use it properly or, or know the capabilities of it, then you can do a lot of cool stuff. But uh, your, if your users don't know, then uh, it's kind of a lot of work wasted as well. Um, yeah, so some really good points. Uh, and yeah, I just wanted to uh, to say as well that we'll, uh, we'll put all the, the links to your uh, socials and your, your big uh, communities and uh, things like that in the show notes so people can... Uh, can get started uh, if they want to contribute with with uh, with things on uh, the this is learning uh, community or anything like that, and then they can start there. Um, so yeah, thank you very much for for coming on. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Codefields podcast. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends or add a review in your favorite podcast player. You can also find us on Twitter at CodeSplitters or on our website, CodeSplittersPodcast.com. Until next time, take care.